that's no moon. It's a space station. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Just a quick reminder, our tickets are available for our conference, Rebels of Disclosure 2024, May 13th through 16th in Grafton, Illinois at the Pier Marquette Lodge once again. Um, the, all the tickets this year come with a live stream pass, so that's pretty cool. And all the information is at rebelsofdisclosure.com. We hope to see you there. And the uh, on-site lodging is sold out, as many of you may know, but there's plenty of camping on-site. There's Airbnbs and hotels in town. The conference is not sold out by any means, so if you can find a way to make it out, we'd love to see you there. And if you were there last year, you'll know that our guest tonight, Katie Weiss, was there actually doing some channeling at the end of the day a few nights and it was profound. Um, I'm interviewing people for five years now, and among many channelers, uh, I personally feel that she's one of the most authentic channels that I've ever met. And some of the information that's coming through is absolutely profound, in, in my opinion. She mm -hmm. is the host of the Our Next Existence podcast, and she's an author of the Human Awakening book and the Human Remembrance book which are both fascinating. Actually, the second book isn't out yet, but we'll get into that. There's so much to get into. The information that she's bringing forward is literally next level. It's like shifting the paradigm. It's stuff that most of the planet probably isn't ready for yet, but we have to start somewhere. So that's why we're here today. And welcome to the show, Katie. Man, how do I follow along from that? <laughs> well, <laughs> Thanks just... so much. Thank you for having me. I'm just being honest. Um, I've traveled with you and I've I've yeah. witnessed you channel on a number of occasions. And it's it can be life-changing in some in some occasions because you know, I wasn't ready for it the first time I witnessed you channel and and the concepts and the ideas that you're bringing forward really makes us go back to the drawing board and rethink reality. Like everything we thought we knew. Like even when you do you thought you've already gone back to the drawing board, like there's another drawing board you got to go find it because um there's just so much another we have to really we have to really start rethinking existence, our existence and why we're here and how we came to be and this group that you began channeling. Um I'll let you tell that story. Um you call them the chorus and it's actually really fascinating how you came to even understand your gift and um maybe you could let our audience know what that was like for you. Sure. And I'll just add to I know many of your interviewers have complimented the Journey to Truth conference and I want to add to that pile of people. So I actually had not channeled for a group like that ever before. Um but I was at the conference and honestly the people were just so awesome that I felt comfortable offering it and people showed up and it it turned out to be extraordinary. So for whoever's out there on the fence about going to the conference or not I can't tell you what to do, but you're on the horns of, of a dilemma of an amazing thing. <laughs> so uh, I think it's a great conference. I would encourage people to go. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. So to begin with the chorus and how all that started. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I um, started my awakening journey, you could say, I think by the way a lot of us do, which was with illness. Um, several years ago, 
after I gave birth to my son, um, I started having mysterious symptoms and they grew progressively worse over a period of years. Um, it started sort of with cyclical symptoms, then stomach symptoms, then energy symptoms, and they just kept compounding. Um, so after we had seen a lot of doctors and things weren't working as usual, you kind of get pushed into an energetic place. Maybe you wouldn't have gone before willingly. At the time, I worked in technology as a strategist. And so though I did some meditation and I listened to Esther Hicks and things like that, I hadn't really integrated it into my practice. I hadn't attempted many of these things myself. Never occurred to me. But, you know, you get to a certain point in an illness and you're sort of like, well, we've tried everything else. Why the hell not try channeling? So I downloaded a book from Amazon about how to channel. <laughs> I tried to think about a process for like, how would I know if I connected to good beings? And I sat down one night when I was really angry, to be honest. And I opened up to channeling mostly with the question of why. I didn't necessarily at the time believe that I could potentially manifest a solution to an illness that seemed so complicated and so mysterious. So it didn't really occur to me to ask for like, heal this, uh, which I think is also part of awakening. Sometimes those most obvious questions don't show up until we're ready for them. And for a lot of reasons, I was not yet at a point of healing, but I could open up and be like, what the hell? <laughs> uh, and it was a what the hell globally. It was like, why are we, why are any of us sick? Why does this make sense? Give me a reason why illness for an entire civilization would make sense. And the chorus was there. And they came through that first night as pretty much a sensation, an overwhelming wave of sort of, I would say, love and timelessness. Um, which was about as much as I could handle in that first connection because sort of everything here was like, what what the F is happening? Um, and I sort of shut down the connection, but there was enough that was there that I went back again and again and again and again. And over a period of years, um, what began as a sensation started to become more clear in terms of like thoughts, understandings, words, and then now books and podcasts. Yeah, so... Whenever, so how did you, how did you gain trust? How did you learn to trust what you were hearing and this group of people? And how did you discover even who they were? Well, given my background, I ran a series of experiments. <laughs> I didn't know what else to do. Um, so I figured out ways that I felt like if this were, I don't know, just a figment of my imagination, this is the best answer I could come up with. So I would write down my questions write down the best, most enlightened answer I could possibly think of. And then I would open to channeling, do my best to not judge while I was channeling, just bring it through. And then I would kind of let it sit for a couple of days. And then I, cause time passing is a big part of our reality and letting energy in. So then I would go back a couple of days later and I compare the answers and over and over and over again, they blew mine out of the water. And I don't just mean in terms of like a higher quality answer. I mean, like they touched on topics I had never even thought would have been connected to the question that I asked. So it was definitely a very broad perspective, broader than I could even like pretend to have. Um, and then, you know, as it continued, I continued to test 
my ability to connect to them and my ability to feel better. And I don't mean like, obviously my illness was still raging, (laughs) which, you know, maybe some people would have said like, this seems to be a giant fail. Like if you had connected to something energetic and, you know, loving, shouldn't you be experiencing some results in your body? And I didn't necessarily think that had to be true, but I did think that I should feel emotionally some sort of relief or some sort of like, okay, I get it. Like this is freaking hard, but that helped you know, sort of like a coach, like if you're, if you're working your ass off to improve your times or, you know, your body's in pain or whatever, the coach doesn't come in and like magically take away all your muscle pain. Your coach is like, Hey, this is what we do when we have muscle pain. And the chorus became very similar. They have never taken issue with my human experience by their view. We're doing it all perfectly. (laughs) And, um, as, as much as it's so, so aggravating to hear that sometimes, <laughs> right. um, they think this is extraordinary and they're so consistent in that view and they have such a clear logic as to why they feel that way that what happened over and over again was I had to allow both perspectives. This is really hard, sucks to be human, like this is shitty, I'm sick, right? Mm-hmm. At the same time being like, I could see how we created this or why I chose this or that it will be okay one day or so it didn't become like a switch. It became like both of these are now newly true in an expanded way that helped me to feel a little bit more at ease about my place in my own existence, you could say. Mm -hmm. So for our audience, who is the chorus and how did you come to give them that name? So after many years of asking them many five senses questions and five senses is their view for what I think a lot of us or your listeners would call 3D. They they base their definition based on the way we perceive reality here, which is classically by our five senses. So eyes, ears, taste, touch, you know, that's how we interact with reality here. We have words for many other six senses or, you know, some psychologists say there's many more now, but, you know, broadly. The way we have our interactions with energy here is via these five senses or the mind-body instrument. So I asked them a lot of questions that make sense in our perspective. So like where, location, where are you? And they would reply with like, what's aware? You know, this is amazing. And so it took a while to get to an understanding of their way of looking at reality was very different than anything that was in the five senses. And I think you could say in a nutshell that they are non-physical, depending on how you define physical. But another definition that they've given me is that they are beyond belief. So beliefs to them are energetic structures. They are real things. And that is one way that they define the physical dimension. So now typically we define the physical dimension based on physical stuff, right? Five senses stuff, things we can touch or taste or see. And by their view, it actually extends much, much, much bigger than that to all beings across all times, across however you define anything within this physical dimension that hold beliefs. So belief to them is the first defining distinction between where they are, which is beyond this energetic structure, this definer of reality, you could say, and where we are, which is where we believe stuff. Now, within the physical dimension, you can have 
a vast variety of beliefs. So you can have some civilizations that don't believe in time. You can have some civilizations that maybe don't believe in body in the way that we do and float around in sort of different formats. But if any of them believe things, according to the chorus, they are all in the game with us. And they use the game analogy often. They say that it works really well for where we are in our awakening and understanding things. And, you know, one of their main points is that the game is potentially much, much, much vaster than many of the game players who are awakening had surmised before now. So the chorus is a, it's, you're referring to them as them or they, so Mm -hmm. it's a collection of energies. Like, is this like, can you explain that a little better? Um, like it's not just some like alien race from the Pleiades, right? Is this, we're, they're t- we're talking about something outside, maybe even our universe, right? That... We're outside the, the definition of universe. So yeah. one way to think of it is, so they are consciousnesses, just like we are consciousnesses. So to them, the defining structure, your innate core frequency, your resonance, your energy that is unique unto creation for all of forever, because they say we each are, right? That is what they view as consciousness. It's the you. It's the me. It's the the them <laughs> individually. So their consciousness is, and right now they're resonant in a frequency that's beyond belief. And we're all consciousnesses. And right now we're resonant here. And specifically on the frequencies of finiteness and insufficiency is what they call our particular resonance right now. So here stuff ends, it's finite, and then it's also insufficient. So typically not enough or just barely not enough, which is what drives a lot of our experiences here of survival. Lack and scarcity. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So, and which we created by way of the resonance with these frequencies, which builds beliefs, those energetic structures, which then creates the reality or the interaction with the energy. So they are truly a chorus of voices. So they do have distinct personalities. It took me years to figure it out (laughs) because in the beginning, it was just like, oh, it's a loving message, you know? And it took me so long to like wrap my head around what they were actually saying that I had to get to a point of openness or like expansion into them to be like, hang on, you guys sound a little different today. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It took me a while to get there. And then they were like, yes, yes. Like so excited that I had started to pick up on it. And it's, it's so subtle or it's so varied. I don't know how to put it that it's difficult for me to just give that subtle difference a name yet, but I feel it right. When a particular voice steps forward, there's like a, oh. I have not named them all or, you know, even attempted it, to be honest, because there's just sometimes there's just so many of them. Um, But sometimes they speak as a collective. And then sometimes, depending on the topic, one of them will step forward a little bit more. But there's always this sense of harmony with them. There's always like this beautiful the perspective that's stepping forward is expressing a little bit of uniqueness, but it so beautifully plays into everything else that they've expressed that it, it really just elevates all the perspectives, including mine, being a human who's listening to them. Mm-hmm. So they explain the concept of this egg, which I'll let you explain a little better, but it has everything to do with the game. And basically the way I understand it is 
we at some point in time, right, we created the experience of limitation um, to experience and that limitation exists. Right. <laughs> that that <laughs> that uh that limitation exists with within this egg, this concept of this egg. Can you explain that? Yeah, and you know what? So I'm a visual person, so I'll just like flip to that drawing in the first book. So this is the first book. It's the book of human awakening, which is their overview of the awakening process. Um, so they cover kind of there's three parts. The first part is sort of what you have been experiencing here. <laughs> Um, what you are experiencing right now and what you are about to experience. And one of the first illustrations they gave me, so the chorus stuff came in mostly in the beginning as illustrations, as drawings, which became uh, basically the foundation for the books. So here's their idea of the egg. Um, and so they're basically saying, here's free-flowing energy passing through you because you are infinitely connected you know, to the energy of the universe. But it's it's basically molded by this energetic structure called beliefs. And so they're they're saying that when you chose to resonate with the wavelengths of finiteness and insufficiency of limitation, you created this egg. You created these energetic structures. So you're infinitely connected to the free-flowing, you know, loving energy of creation. How could you not be? You're in you're in a part of creation. We're all a part of creation. Um, but we can do a lot with our connection to the energy. And so in this case, here in this reality, um, we chose to experience limitation. I'll pause there before I keep going. Does that make sense as a? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay. So I think for most of us here in this amazing experience, then the next question is, why? And some days, depending on how well that day is going, sometimes it's why the fuck? <laughs> right. yeah. Who signed up for this? <laughs> and what am, the questions I asked early on in a lot of my channeling sessions with them was like, who's in charge here? Which, you know, they thought was hilarious. And I understood that they thought it was hilarious because they, they really, from their view, I had chosen this. But me in this conscious perspective, I don't have a memory of that day. Like most of us don't do, I don't have like a, oh yeah. And then at this point I decided I'm going to be limited for, you know, I have none of that. So it's basically like someone telling you, Hey, you, you did a thing that you have complete amnesia over. Mm. Now, the, the reason they said that we have complete amnesia over that is because otherwise it would have completely violated the experience of limitation. You right. can't be as limited if you can remember the place where you were not limited, where you made the loving choice to do this, because <laughs> you right. would feel all that love from this conscious perspective, you wouldn't be limited anymore. Okay. Right. Put it simply, right. we wouldn't be able to have this experience unless we, at a high level, forgot who we really are and forgot yes. that we're more than this body, you know? Yeah, it's, it's exactly. It's like, you can't be like, partially omniscient and then you know clueless like you're not right. you're not the same clueless as if you were just totally clueless and we we signed up for total cluelessness <laughs> right so but they go a little more specific which which helps i think and and this is what they cover in a lot of their material is that they said well actually there was an objective to this an experience and it was you wanted to become familiar with your emotional array 
And this is where they start in the first book to get into a lot of the detail about human emotions and energy and what we're experiencing here and how we've expanded through it. By their view, they see human emotions rather than on like a two-dimensional scale. You know how usually we start, sorry, usually we start and there's like positive emotions down here, you know, and then negative emotions over here and you work your way up the scale to positive. And they say, this is a totally valid perspective. They said, well, let's give you another one. And we see emotions sort of in a three-dimensional array. And they're fluid and they interact and they're dynamic and they actually happen billions of times per second. Now, this speed has been quoted, I know now, by other channels. And in their view, that speed is the speed with which we rebuff the pure incoming energy of creation and create this experience of limitation. As we do so, our indicator that we are doing this is we feel emotions. This is unique to humanity. I have become aware that there are other species and other civilizations out there that interpret energy in different ways. And the way that we do it is that we feel it and what we call emotions. So they say, okay, so you're rebuffing this, you know, a billion times a second. And so what is it that you're feeling in this three-dimensional array? And to them, all emotions that we feel here are actually indicators of this disallowance of energy, which is another way they describe this finiteness and insufficiency, which sort of messes with us, right? Because we're like, hang on, (laughs) you're telling me that positive emotions are indicative of this limitation, just like negative emotions are. And they go, yeah, this is what you came here to experience. You created an experiential field of like a a cut off, zoned off area of the universe where you could go in on these frequencies of finiteness and insufficiency and billions of times a second for as long as you wanted to play in the game, you could get to know all the quadrants, all the aspects, all the everything of your emotional system. So coming back down to earth with that as a human, it's sort of like, wait a second. So then is it, does it even help me to feel joyful? Does it, you know, right? It's sort of like, how do we orient ourselves in the three-dimensional version of this? And that's where they say, well, there is a center point. There is a center point, which we call, humans call the sensation of love. Love by their definition is the momentary cessation of participation in beliefs of limitation. So that pure loving energy that we feel sometimes is where we are for a moment released from all the judgments, all the thinking, all the everything that's activating all the time. And we're sort of like, it's just kind of almost mindless sometimes, right? Love isn't like a thinking thought. Maybe there are thoughts that come from love, but, but love is a sensation, right? A pure sensation. So they say, that's actually it. That's like sort of the exit from the game. Love is the doorway sort of that you're getting a glimpse of out of the belief system complex, out of the egg. And there's a whole ton more waiting for you through and beyond the sensation of love. Like that's just like the starter sensation, like the rest of the universe. Right. And so when- That's the pinhole of light in the darkness, basically. Yes. Of darkness the true of reality. Whereas like the darkness is like the false construct belief system reality. 
that we're we're experiencing and it's not like you said it's an experience that we wanted to have but but love is like the glimpse of the greater reality of who we really are right the free-flowing energy we might say so yeah darkness here like you know aaron like you just like the uh, perfect playing field that we created ourselves that we have no one to blame but us you know yes Um, but also there are differences, right, within the three-dimensional array. So they said the difference that you're feeling between joy and anger is your proximity to that center point. So around the center point, there's actually a variety of emotions that kind of orbit love, right? Like trust. Trust is a version of love, right? Don't we like sort of slow down our judgments as we move into trust? Mm -hmm. Or curiosity is another one a really powerful one, actually, that orbits the center point of love. Because curious, like, you know, when we have that childlike curiosity, aren't we sort of like judging a little less? And we're sort of like, what could it be? (laughs) You know, we're hope. So these things actually, you know, orbit and move around and sort of shift around different ways. And so they said, look, the reason why those emotions that are closer to the center point feel good to you is because that is on your path of greatest expansion. And they were like, we know this may come as a shock to some of you, but that might not be on everybody's path of greatest expansion, right? If you're heading into the game and you're going deeper and deeper, you're on your way into the limitation, you may actually be drawn towards those sorts of sensations, right? You want to rebuff the energy in a different way. And if you're like, "Oop, that was fun. Now I'm coming back out. I'm heading towards the center point we will be drawn to the emotional sensations that bring us closer and closer to that center point or so, as we expand. So it's interesting to, to think of the concept of awakening then, like it's all supposed to happen at once for everybody, which we know that isn't true because you just described it. Like, so that's why you're standing next to somebody and it doesn't make sense. Like, why can't you see what's going on here? Why can't you see all these limitations, right? Um, because they're on their way, maybe they're on their way into the game still. Like they just got here and they have yes. their their soul experience journey has just begun. And then while a whole number of people are already on their way out and they're seeing through the veil or the, you know, seeing through the illusion, right? So it's not like everyone is just supposed to go through this awakening altogether. I feel like it's, you know, specific to the individual. It's where you're at. Exactly. You're at where they're at, and you're at where you're at. And the 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 small self human wants to always judge things, but it's coming from where you're at, and it's coming from your own beliefs and your own stuff. But what you don't, what we don't realize, is that they have a whole different perspective based on their experiences and where they're at. And it's okay. It doesn't mean we have to agree with those things or we have to bring ourselves down to that level but we when you understand that then you stop judging and you stop taking things personal and things like that because you realize they're just experiencing reality from where they're at and they're having that experience and that they're on a different place on the path basically right totally and aaron that's really well said you know something the chorus points out is as we're right now expanding into sort of more energetic perception they said one of the first things you'll experience, and we're stepping towards this now, is you'll get a different view of human suffering. So we're Mm -hmm. coming from the five senses view in which we're totally against suffering, right? That's part of the limitation Mm -hmm. because we fight against suffering 
and thus right. energize the experience of suffering. It was part right. of the setup of the game, right? right? Practically watertight. But as we continue to expand in our energetic awareness, we'll get in all cases, as they talk about awakening across the board, there's going to be this nuance that starts to become clear to us about all aspects of our reality. And one of the nuances that's going to become clear to us is about suffering. And so you'll come across another human who's suffering. And typically from our five senses, we would want to like jump right in and stop it. And because we're in the scarcity survival game of limitation too. Right. But as we expand, we will get a very clear energetic sense of that position. And we'll be like, oh, they're on their way into the game, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Now, you could still help them. Rendezvous are part of, you know, the whole universe, right? So it's not like if they're going into the game, you're like, yeah, screw you. Good luck. You know, compassion. <laughs> <laughs> You know, right, you right. use your gifts. There may still be times where you rendezvous with these people for any infinite number of reasons. But right. that that intensity of like, oh, I got to stop their suffering or I got to stop him from being such an asshole or whatever it is will soften because you'll be like, I feel where you are in a mm. different way. You're you're going into that part of the game, aren't you? And I'm coming out of that part of the game. And this is where, you know, human minds tend to think just we just tend towards binary and we tend towards singular singular answers as part of the constructs that we embodied here and what we're going to find is some people are dipping down into certain experiences in the game as others are coming up so some might be going into an experience of powerlessness right Mm -hmm. specifically maybe they don't they've already experienced other aspects of limitation but as part of what's happening right now they're going whoop down into powerlessness and then, you know, another couple of years will come out of it. So it's a really diverse field. It's constantly in motion. There are people going down, people going up, people going over to that quadrant, people going over here. In aggregate, there, yes, is a group of us that are sort of moving towards the exit, but it's it's all fluid. It's fluid dynamics, right? It's moving all over the place. It's organic and it's evolving. So to say that it's like a straight shot from here to the exit, we all know, like, doesn't exactly sound plausible. And that's because we get it. We're humans. We have a lot of rules here about, you know, shortcuts. We don't get to have a lot of those. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. we wouldn't get to suffer as much. Now, that's changing as our experience of time is changing. We are allowing in more energy in shorter and shorter periods of time. This is manifesting as technological breakthroughs or serendipity or synchronicity. We have a lot of words for this, right? So we are getting to the point of more direct and immediate manifestation, but it's still going to be sort of a process as we all go through it. So understanding, there's so many things I want to cover here. Um, I, I want to, maybe you could help our audience understand well, I don't know what we should cover first. I want to call, I want to t- cover dimensions and what a dimension is and how we experience dimensions because that's a, that's a question. Like when we do our live Q and A's, that comes up a lot. Well, people okay. don't understand. And you have a whole chapter in your book about dimensions and it's described yep. beautifully. And then maybe after that, we can get into the cataclysms that they explained to you happened here on Earth, and we can kind of go into some of our history and um, what that looked like. Cool. Okay. So I am going to bring up their picture because they think it helps with dimensions or even just. So, so to be very specific, um, so their definition of dimension is a composite 
of a variety of energetic wavelengths more closely bound by momentum and participation. So let's break that down because I could be like, what the fuck does that mean? So what that means is, you know, there's infinite wavelengths, multidimensional wavelengths all over the place. And they're saying, well, we're delineating here. We're drawing artificial lines and calling this a dimension just basically to kind of make it clear. But everything's a continuum in all directions, right? So they're saying, okay, so by by your view, what we might call a dimension is imagine across all these wavelengths, right? There's kind of a cluster of beings that sort of are all kind of aggregating onto these ones. That's the participation, right? Okay, so there's a lot of beings that are like onto these energetic wavelengths that resonate with them, right? Because we're all energy. That's our core frequency. It's what we're connected to in the universe. And so we create, when we resonate with something, like a type of momentum, a type of creative power. We bring that power of creation to that place in the universe and energize it. So they're saying, this is basically what a dimension is. You're, it's just it's just a bunch of beings who got together who are energizing a particular cluster of wavelengths and that means something to you. And you say, oh, that location, that cluster is now what we would call a dimension of this or a dimension of that. So they said, and I'll try and hold this up here. They tried to give a dimension example as bubbles. Beck, we can't hear you whenever you come forward like that. Oh, so thanks. You, you okay, can maybe sorry. Re- reach like... <laughs> I can put this on the screen too. Like I can put this. Oh, let's on, do that on the screen. Yeah. Okay. So just explain it. Yeah. Because especially if this has come up a lot before for your viewers, this really helped me when they started walking me through what a dimension is. Not in terms of negating any other idea of dimension. In terms of just being like, there are other ways to look at it. Also, right. Every other definition of dimension that we've created thus far is completely valid. A hundred percent. What we're stepping into now are more ideas that are equally relevant about a given topic that help us to triangulate our understanding in a new way. Right. And so something really quick, something that the book did say is that there are potentially as many dimensions as there are individuals, because each each dimension is based on your beliefs and the belief is, you know, is what manifests into uh, the energy is what manifests into the physical reality. Right. Exactly. So you could say it's all based on that cluster of beings that are on those frequencies. But honestly, if you have one person on one frequency, that could classify as a dimension, right? It's where we want to draw the line. Where does it suddenly hit a tipping point and become meaningful to us? Is it at a hundred beings? Is that is it at a billion beings? Like when does that constitute a dimension? So they, I like that they very sort of simply it sort of into like bubbles. They're like, let's just call these bubbles. All right. There's this bubble over here. There's a bunch over here. There's a bunch over here and all these different wavelengths. And they would say one way to look at the, you know, your dimension is basically your experience of the five senses. You could say that that was a dimension. Now this kind of throws us for a loop because we're sort of like, wait a second. Like I thought, I thought that dimension over there was where earth had done that. Or, you know, we have these different ways of sort of understanding it. And they said, all those are equally true. Sure. You could define dimension based on time. You could define it based on five senses, things that you perceive. Maybe it looks different. Maybe it feels different. Maybe it sounds different. 
But they were like, but another way to look at all those different dimensions is that you're still perceiving them with the same mind-body instrument, the same unified field of perception in which you interact with reality. Those are just different flavors of those realities. So they make the suggestion that as of right now, there may not really be that many of us who have experienced consciously and can remember anything beyond this dimension. Because if you define our dimension based on everything we're experiencing in sort of something that has five senses, whether it looks a little taller, whether it looks a little more gray, whether it looks a little bigger, if there's some aspect of these five senses expressed, then that's kind of all in the five senses dimension, depending on how you look at it. So they said what we're heading into now is sort of these new belief structures that will fundamentally change or evolve or affect our unified field of perception, meaning our mind-body instrument is going to change. As we do so, we are basically going to start to experience the universe in different ways, and that's going to be sort of a step into a different dimension. Again, where dimension is defined by what we're resonant with and what, what that looks like. One way of looking at a human, you know, we have a podcast episode about this is to say like, these senses still count. If I'm looking at you and you look a certain way, that is an energetic interpretation. So even though I might be able to feel things about you too in the future, right? That's additive. It doesn't negate what we were able to perceive with our eyes because eyesight is a valid interpretation of the wavelengths of visual light. So they said, okay, so right now you look a certain way, right? You all have heads. Mm -hmm. What is it about your energetic resonance where you guys are that creates heads? What do you all believe? Clearly, you must all believe something very similarly if you all look a lot alike. And then they use that example in terms of meeting other civilizations and other societies. And they're like, okay, someone comes out of the sky, comes out of a spaceship. And the first question is, what do they look like? And you might be like, well, uh, they're gray, they're tall, they have the suit on, whatever. And the course would be like, do they have a head? And you'd be like, yeah, they have a head. Cool. They believe something that you believe too. So you don't even have to know anything about them, but you can perceive their unified field of perception and you know your unified field of perception and they kind of have some similarities. That means before they've even opened their mouths or their tel telepathy or <laughs> however they communicate, you already know resonance-wise you overlap somehow. And then they said, what about beings that like you can't see, taste, touch, hear, smell, perceive it all? You know, and we would be like, is there even anything there? And they would be like, perfect. That was a perfect experience of understanding sort of the barrier of your game versus the rest of the universe. If there is a being out there that you can't hear, taste, touch, any of your senses, any of the six senses, that being is wholly resonant in a totally different place. There's no overlap. And you might say that that being is in a different dimension than you are. Right. And what's interesting right. about, let's say, traveling the dimension. So you you channel other groups of people, beings as well, which we can get into a little later. But uh, when I was with you one of the times and we were experiencing this group of people from, let's just say, another dimension, 
their explanation of how to how to perceive that dimension is through the heart. And they explain the heart is the highway to travel these other dimensions, if we want to look at it that way, which goes back to what you were saying earlier about love. So I, honestly, love okay. or the heart is the highway to perceive these other, quote, dimensions. Yeah, beautifully connected. That's exactly right. And I think I had to go through many years of working with the chorus and feeling this energy of love over and over again as I went through what I would say is a very normal human existence. It was like training, right? I went through everything we go through and each day or each night had to connect back to the chorus and be like, how do I love this? How do I love this one? How do I love this one? And I think because of that, I was able to sort of build different beliefs or be, just become conscious of what love feels like. And, and it became like an, like an available alternate in each of these situations. I could be pissed off, but I see the chorus as logic here. And like, I'm kind of, I'm kind of feel okay. Why do I feel okay? Right. And so through that, I think I've been able to maybe hear, as we would say, other beings now more consciously that are on those other wavelengths of love. And this is what we're all doing. I mean, we we maybe each all have our like versions of doing it, right? That was mine. Mine was illness and like having to love it over and over again. But other people have other trials, other dark nights of the soul. There are many different ways we're awakening. And ultimately what it's strengthening or bringing to consciousness more and more is this path, this alternate, this choice that you can be loving in these situations. It's not just like a mental, I should be loving. It's a sense that comes over you. And you're sort of like, I used to get really pissed off about this, but I'm not today, right? That is a representation of an energetic shift. And it's on those frequencies that we're moving into that quite frankly, there's a lot of civilizations and a lot of societies that are excited to meet humanity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's fascinating, all the endless possibilities out there of all these different beings and other dimensions and everything. But what I want, I guess what I want to get into next is the cataclysms, the five major cataclysms that they explained happened here on earth and which does include past civilizations as we would view them. Yeah. So, okay. So the second book is the book of human remembrance and that's their treatment of time and memory. Memory being pretty much the predominant human expression of the idea of linear time right now. We're like, oh, I remember something, right? That's the idea of linear, linear time. Um, so what they are suggesting though, as they describe memory is that Another way to look at it is just pure energetic connection. So you can string all those other places out on a line if you want to, which we do. And actually, there's a lot of other civilizations that express linear time. We're not the only ones. So you can be like, oop, they're all back there in a line. And that one was that far ago. And that one was after that one. And this one was before those other two. Okay. Or like many other civilizations, you can look at it like a hub and spoke type model. So here you are in the middle in the present moment. And each of these things that you're remembering are actually sort of all in parallel. There's no linear hierarchy. They're all in parallel. And when you remember something, you're making an energetic connection over to those other frequencies. They say that this could almost be underwhelming for a human because we don't 
totally conceive of yet the experiences we've had here when we didn't remember at all. And you might say, well, would that just be like pure present moment presence? And they would say, that's an interesting question. If you are wholly immersed in your day-to-day, if you're judging, judging, judging billions of times per second, right? So much so that you don't even pull up and be like, oh, I remember when I did that, right? You're just in it. Would we call that today as an awakening group the same as present moment presence where you're sort of like just there in the present moment, taking it all in, maybe in that loving centered place, right? You feel how these are slightly different? One is like a total grind in the beliefs and the thinking. And the other is that you're actually sort of more open and receiving more energy directly, maybe we would say. Okay, so in the hub and spoke type model, here you are in sort of a present moment presence receiving other energetic frequencies, which at this juncture in our awakening, we still call memories. It works. It works with our idea of time. It works with our expression of linearity. And they say, here's where we want to make an important point. It's not just time that's linear. There's a bunch of expressions of humanity that are linear. I'll give you one example, and the rest are in the book. One example is that we have a thing that we call interruptions. And they have this whole beautiful way of going through it where they're like, look, you basically have to have, even unconsciously, a mental projection for your day and what you think you're going to get done and where you're going to go next and when you probably would be there and how much time that would take in order to have this experience that we call an interruption where something came in that is disrupting you from something. And they're like, what is it disrupting you from? And the more I experienced with them, the more I realized how totally subtle and unconscious it is that we are so appended to this belief system billions of times per second that we don't even know we have this sort of mental projection of the way reality should be. Maybe this is what we call the matrix, right? Mm-hmm. So we have so many agreements about like how long it takes to do things. For example, like you can't just go build a house in two seconds, right? We all have a general understanding of how long it takes to build a house. That agreement is something that we are all resonant with unconsciously in the background. So here you go forward to like build your house in the human reality <laughs> and everything's going great. And it's like, totally blowing through milestones. And then you hit a delay and you'd be like, oh, that was unlucky. Or like, oh, I just forgot to do that. Or, oh, I should have called the permit office or right. There'll be plenty of reasons in the five senses, but really you're playing on a broader game field and one that is defined by a group consensus, which the chorus points out, we all agreed to play basically the same game and to perceive only others who were basically playing the same game too. So what's active all the time are these agreements defining our reality. And so when we have an experience of an interruption, it's actually something quite extraordinary because it represents sort of a break in those agreements where we're like, that shouldn't have happened. Now, typically we're pissed off, right? (laughs) People are interrupted. They're like angry about it. That's actually a good indicator because anger is the emotion of becoming. Mm -hmm. 
That means there's an expression of us that is reaching vaster frequencies. And there's a part of us that's still telling us it's limited. That friction is what we call anger. And so there's a part of us that's like, I wonder what this is. And there's another part of us that's like, God, I only have 15 more minutes to get this done. I do not have time to go see what the dog just threw up in the family room. Right? Right. Yeah. So, well, go ahead if you want done. No, it's okay. Go ahead. So I guess, would you consider these cataclysms an interruption then? Is this, is this where you're going with all this? Great question. So on the linear timeline, we would say there have been other eras of humanity. True. From the hub and the spoke type model, there are other eras of humanity right now. True. Why would we be connecting? to representations of some point in time that maybe ended in a cataclysm is the major question. Whether it's on a line, whether it's in a hub and spoke model happening all around us right now. And the chorus describes each one of these cataclysms as basically a way that we furthered our experience of limitation in the game. So it was a way of deepening our experience of limitation. Now, we could talk for a while about each one of the cataclysms and sort of what it represented and what it brought about in our experience of limitation. But one way to look at the fourth cataclysm, the one that just happened based on a line, is that that actually in some ways could be looked at as the kickoff point to our awakening. Depending on how you define awakening and where you want to draw the line in the infinite universe, there was a moment in the last cataclysm where some of us basically surrendered. Now, surrender from like, go ahead, do you have a question? Well, is the last catal cataclysm the pandemic? Is that what you're referring to? No, it's much more ancient than that. Well, that's what I thought, but I, well, maybe you could just briefly list the cataclysms <laughs> so we can get to that one. To refer to the book, I don't have them all memorized. <laughs> not like a cataclysm expert. I don't know. Maybe I am. Okay. So, you guys, there's so much. Okay. So going back to before the first cataclysm, according to the course, so this is in the second book, the book of human remembrance. Everybody knows what I'm referring to. These are the illustrations in the back that go through Basically, the chorus's viewpoint on our ancient, ancient, ancient history or our experience of being human in the limitation, however you want to define it. They start actually the, the explanation of the cataclysms by starting with our choice to forget. So if you go back at previous cataclysms, the kickoff point to the cataclysms is that we made an energetic choice to experience forgetting. And by view of the chorus, forgetting is simply disconnection, right? So if the hub and spoke model and we're remembering, which is just energetic, you know, tie ropes that we're throwing out now, forgetting is basically hacking off those ropes to those other energies. So they say that our energetic heritage in the universe is to a group of beings that they title the Baleem. I don't know if I heard that right, but basically the Baleem were a great class of destroyers. 
these were consciousness in the universe that were extremely destructive and rageful. So basically destructive without any reflection. <laughs> they just sort of like destroyed for the joy of destroying. Okay. There's an important branching that happens in that history where some of the Belim developed an important expression of limitation, which was guilt and remorse. Now you might say, how was that more limiting than just being like a destroyer running amok? Well, if you think of it in terms of confining or limiting your energetic potential, when we feel guilty, do we feel more free to just like run around and destroy or do we feel a little less free? Right, so less. they said, yes. So they said, look, today, you know, you're coming through awakening and you might, you might look at this differently. You might say, well, it was good that we felt bad for destroying shit all over the place. And they say, totally valid perspective. But there's an energetic perspective too that says the remorseful belief that broke off were the beginning sort of of this experience of limitation. And one of the first choices that that group that we made was that we kept sort of destroying, but now we were feeling more and more bad about it. But we destroyed things without meaning to. And this is a big part of um, the experience of linear time and a lot that they talk about in the second book is it's not so much that we were destructive, it's that we were destructive without being able to control it which made us feel increasingly guilty, increasingly guilty, increasing. So you see how it's furthering our limitation? Mm -hmm. And this went on for cycles and cycles until finally the first cataclysm is that we arrived here in the energetic field that you might call earth, or it wasn't earth at the time. It was created by this incredible class of consciousnesses that we were. And the first cataclysm was the choice to forget. So we figured that basically if we would be able to forget about a lot of our energetic connections, right, if we hacked them all off, we might be less destructive. So we basically put ourselves in timeout. And that was the first cataclysm. In that cataclysm, what was also created was the energetic structure of sadness. So I mean, today, these are all things that were like, didn't we feel this all the time? And the chorus is like, sure, it's a valid perspective. But you can also look at this using your linear understanding and say that there's been a progression of limitation. So you created the experience of guilt. You created the experience of sadness. Um, so sadness is the recognition of absence, the current conscious discrepancy between energetic and more limited parts of self and activation of beliefs regarding powerlessness. So here we were in our timeout, and we had cut off a ton of our energetic connections. We felt the absence, and we also felt powerless to change it, which was by choice, because we didn't want to allow ourselves to change it, and that created the energetic sensation of sadness, which persists in this experience still, because many of us are continuing to be resonant with these ancient aspects of ourselves. They're still alive in us. So cataclysm so, two. <laughs> turning the page. <laughs> and you know, me, I might try and summarize now two, two and three. Yeah. 
um, and just get to the most recent one. So more things happened in the second and the third cataclysms that basically deepened our limitation. In the second cataclysm, we started to create what we would define today as a physical embodiment. Um, and we put ourselves in an even tighter jail. Um, the method of confinement is what today we would call eyesight. And that is because we limited all of our perceptions down to just seeing. So it was, in a sense, a type of confinement. And I know that there are some pictures out there of like beings that are just eyeballs. <laughs> and that may hail from this era of our history in which we had been sort of more free-flowing energy fields or what we would call from our perspective today. And we constrained ourselves even further and said, we're going to blind ourselves. And we blinded ourselves with physical eyesight, basically only being able to see on the visible wavelengths of light. Maybe that's why we had those one-eyed beings in the past, because they were like even even less, like even more yes. limited with one eye. Now, then we got two. I think it's like this theraphim or something like that. So, but interestingly, so if you if you look at it in terms of descent even though they were giant floating eyeballs <laughs> or whatever they were, we were, I don't know. Um, they were still more expansive than what we are today. They were still more energetically connected because this is like, there were, there were two more cataclysms that happened after this. So our understanding of, of just them being an eyeball belies sort of the energetic capacities that those creatures, those beings still had. So we'd be like, how do you even lift things? You don't have opposable thumbs. You know, we'd sort of be like, that seems more limited to us. And they were like, yeah, that's a reflection of what you're awakening from. It's an expression of your view of yourselves and awakening to what you realize is limited or not. So then into the third cataclysm um, is what they would call um, the War of the Gods, War of the Titans. So they talk about that. That's actually the third cataclysm. So this is several decisions in to the experience of limitation. We've already forgotten like two cataclysms before. So when we were like running around smashing mountains or whatever it was we were doing, um, we were already more limited than where we had been and continuing to move into limitation, which brings us to the fourth cataclysm, the most recent one we could say. Um, which the chorus defines as um, the war of the soul. So they're vague on the details because we're still awakening to them. And there's something that's consistently true about the chorus is they do not do spoilers. If they think there is something very important that we are awakening to, they will walk beside you right through the final millimeters without giving it away. So they don't they don't make these books because they're like, hey, we have all this knowledge now. Here you go. You need it. They make these books because they're like, we're going to reflect back to you guys. You keep going in your awakening. We'll reflect our understanding of what you're starting to understand. We'll add our perspective to your perspective. But they never, ever try and just like subjugate us with their perspective. It would sort of it wouldn't match their energy. So there are things we're starting to understand now about the soul as a society. There are important questions that we're having. And so they are reflecting that growing understanding by saying, yes, there was a cataclysm in your history in which basically there was a disagreement about the nature of the soul. 
there were many factions. There were some factions that sort of wanted to reclaim those higher realms that we had lost contact with through the other cataclysms. And there were other factions that were concerned that if that was achieved, there would be more destruction, more additional civilizations impacted. Um, there's a lot more nuance in that disagreement than I understand today. I know I, there's just more that we haven't awoken to yet. But they basically said that, you know, in a final cataclysm that was felt across the game board, sort of everything was pulverized, every faction fell. And the goal was to scatter the souls so that basically the destructive nature would be very difficult to resurrect. Interesting. And it's it's very fitting to call it the war of the soul or war of the souls because, you know, the common theme that comes up with the cabal and these dark groups is soul harvesting and soul fragmenting and soul splitting. Everything's soul, something soul. And that's exactly... Very, it's exactly what we're experiencing right now, and uh, it's it's very interesting and confusing for people who don't even well, we're born into a world where the soul isn't even supposed to exist according to science, you know. So we have to rediscover that there even is a soul. There's people still developing that understanding, so it's really interesting just to zoom out and kind of understand. Like, it's not that we only have a soul, but it's literally a war. And yeah. there's people that argue that well, you can't you can't steal a soul that belongs to source well no maybe not but you can certainly make it difficult make it a difficult journey by confusing the individual confusing that soul and splitting that soul and fragmenting it whatever it looks like or at least make the individual believe that that's what's happening so it's an even or even though we're doing it to ourselves right um it's it's a really really in-depth journey to try to rediscover who we are I think that's an interesting way to put it. And and also, I mean, it begs an interesting question of does limitation happen at the soul level? So like how far does the game extend across our energetic structure? So is it possible that at the soul level, there are aspects of limitation and then there may be ways that you could experience powerlessness at the soul level, which might make it possible for that soul to be manipulated or directed or moved around. So if awakening is as vast as the chorus is saying, then then it's going to extend through all aspects of our being. <clears throat> and I think what might be happening now is we're awakening to the aspects of it on the soul level. And sometimes the first part of awakening is like realizing how you were limited, which is rough, right? We're just like, oh, fuck, I was an asshole. You know, you, you have to have these moments. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I think um, maybe one of them that's coming around is our aspects of awakening to our powerlessness at the soul level before we step into a new power at that level. Right. And silly me thinking the pandemic is a cataclysm. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, in a way, for some people, it was. I mean, honestly, depending on where, where, you're, where you were and your belief mm -hmm. system complex or construct or whatever you call it. Yeah. Um, I think and you can splice it as fine or as bad. I mean, you can bucket the data however you want. You know what I mean? So like, I think the pandemic could be considered cataclysmic. If you say that the effect of a cataclysm for some is to deepen their limitation and for others to awaken them, definition met. Right. 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 So 
I think the chorus brings up these major cataclysms just in the major being defined as a key component of the belief structure was like put into place, right? Guilt, you know? So I think that's where they're trying to broaden or open our aperture a little bit on how we got here. Mm -hmm. So I have like a million questions and I realize that this is, we will have to do another part to really cover them properly. Uh, but I will ask if you mind sharing in book two, you talk about channeling mountains and the information that comes through, I think is actually really profound because we have to start looking at everything as consciousness, right? And it's not just some random mountain, like there's a lot more to it and you can actually connect with it and they have something to say. And I find that very fascinating. Yes. So, um, I've connected to the consciousness of the mountains. <laughs> Sounds like, hi, I'm Katie. <laughs> I mean, you know, confessions of a channel is still strange, I think, in the terms of the mainstream. But I know that your listeners are like, it's an everyday thing, girl. Right. Um, so the mountains, I think, per participated in the expression of this information because by view of their energetic structure, which is very vast, they were there for these cataclysms. So in the book, in the structure of the book, and then also in some of the illustrations in the back, they express their understanding of what took place. And to them, they experienced some of the destruction. Um, it's taken them less long to perhaps recover their connections. Um, and I think, you know, they view sort of that whole experience as a sacred gift. And that's what they express in the book. They were like, we understand the human perspective of destruction and sadness and loss and all of these things. But also, we didn't know the definition of connection could be altered in such a way, but then also regained. And by their, by the way, they say it in the book that it can, it can overcome basically even total annihilation, the love of the universe, that things can be reconnected. So to them, this has been an extraordinary experience of being able to be alongside us through this whole history. And, you know, we might call it mountains. We might just call it earth. There's a consciousness here that supported us through this. And in some places has grown back or recovered you could say, to where it was prior to a lot of these cycles of cataclysm. And, you know, the first order on their agenda is to tell us how much they love us for being able to share that experience with them. Now, there's an energetic component to these mountains that we physically can't see. We can't see through our <clears throat> lens, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. Do they share any information about that with you? Or does that come from the AO, a different group that you channel? Um, the mountains are, they they tell it, me that they are, you know, they're energetic structures. So they're much more than stone. What we see in visible wavelengths of light is like the most outlined sketch understanding of what a mountain is. It's going to start to fill in with more of our energetic perception. The other thing they've been careful to point out is that they serve as bridges, as links between many different places in the universe. 
So mountains are an energetic structure that is vast, and we used to travel by way of the mountains. Um, we also used to live at the top of mountains. They're considered sort of like fountains of energy. They were constructed to harness the energy in that way into these pinnacles where we and others existed at the pinnacles of these mountains because the energy that was sort of funneled was what sustained us or was our choice environment. So, you know, there is much more to mountains that I think all of us will continue to experience as we expand on the energetic frequencies. That's so fascinating, just because that's one of the themes that pre-COVID didn't exist. Maybe it did, but it's something that I've noticed personally in my life that's been coming forward a lot is that there is this, these, we call, there's different names for them, ancient builder race or blueprinters, engineers, whatever. There's some group of consciousnesses that created earth that even created mountains and and that there's so much more to them and it's not just some random act of nature like we were we we're led to believe and there's some there's like an intelligent design to everything like everything that we think is natural um, was actually once intelligently created by some version of maybe even ourselves and that's where we can get into past lives or everything existing at the same time but ultimately i think like we we were alive for a lot of those cataclysms yeah, I think so. I think there's there's we're kind of surrounded by consciousnesses. And I think the mountains are a great first one to connect to because they represent connection in and of themselves. So isn't it interesting that as we're starting to understand we want more connection, more heartfelt connection, the mountains start speaking to people. I think it's it's an it's a common trait of awakening, actually. I find a lot of people who are like, I started to awaken and I felt like I just needed to go to this mountain range or to climb this mountain or what have you. There's, there's an energetic simpatico there, I would say, between people who are starting to connect, being drawn to geographic structures that do technically and literally connect across galaxies. Wow. Yeah, and that's so fascinating because I had this dream, experience, remembrance, whatever you want to call it one time, where I was using stones, rocks. I would like get down on my knee and put my hand on a rock in that area. And I would travel in any point in time. I would use the rock as a time traveling device because that rock is a record keeper of everything that happened in that area through all time and space. So, and I was able to connect with it and go back to whatever point in time that I wanted to. And it makes perfect sense that what you just said, the mountains were there for it all. So they hold all that knowledge and, and wisdom and everything that was learned from those experiences. And it makes sense that we can connect to that and it will ultimately help us remember who we are. Yeah, for sure. I think I was talking to someone the other day about ancient societies and one of the mainstream criticisms about some of these places is they don't find evidence of writing. So at some of those giant megalithic sites, <clears throat> there's just nothing about writing. And I think, you know, this is starting to reflect maybe a new understanding of what was capable back then by us or whoever it was, is that mm. you didn't really need writing if you could connect to a vast consciousness that saw your entire history, right? Right. right. And if you're you telepathic and telempathic and all that. Why would you need writing? <laughs> you don't. Right. The idea right. of writing is completely based on a society or people that forgets shit. I mean, right. that's why we got to write stuff down, right? Is to either prove it to somebody, somebody wrote I, something down, or because we're I not going to remember. I love what you just said. 
it's yeah like writing is a symptom of a of um a society or beings that have become very disconnected because writing and speech because now in order to communicate instead of just being telepathic and like i can feel and know exactly what you're feeling and knowing right now well you become more disconnected now i have to say words that you interpret a certain way and think i'm meaning something when i'm actually meaning something else and it's very clunky and just like not accurate at all totally and i also have to write symbols that mean something and you interpret that as something you know and it just gets all distorted and that's like that's like the worst form of communication you know like even even like because you know they say 90 percent or 80 percent or whatever it is of communication isn't even verbal it's body language it's yeah. your um your the way you're standing it's all these nonverbal oh. things your um tone um like to me those are all way more accurate forms of communication than the actual words you're saying or writing right Right. right. So everything else in yes. the way we communicate is actually way more accurate than all we think of as communication. Words and writing, like no, that's like the least <laughs> accurate, the worst form of communication. Well, it creates a lot of amazing experiences of limitation, doesn't it? Like, right. I mean, human miscommunication is like a masterclass in and of itself. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And now yeah. we're moving into become going back to becoming telepathic and telepathic, and you know, just like direct. Oh, I know exactly what you're thinking right now and yeah and it's so true because you know we get to a point where you start to read people's energy fields and sometimes you can just look at somebody and know exactly what they're saying without them even opening their mouth and right and whenever what comes out of their mouth doesn't match what you're picking up on energetically that's how we start to detect deception and things of that nature or truth even yes right we're also even sometimes I've I've experienced it where it's the difference between the expression of the belief system and the person's energy. Have you ever caught someone at an inflection point in their awakening and they're saying things that even they, you can tell they don't believe, mm-hmm. but they haven't right. quite brought it all the way through to a change in belief? They right. feel, it feels like it doesn't line up, but they keep saying it because they still got to believe it. Right. Mm-hmm. Until some point where they are finally align those two things and then the belief and the expression and the emotion are all back in sync. Yeah. And right. I think that's going to happen in faster and faster cycles through awakening. You'll meet a friend for lunch one day and she'll be saying the same things she does, but you'll feel in her energy the friction. And then you'll see her a couple months later and she'll be telling you, you know, I just realized I can't do this anymore, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, there it is. Yeah, now they're right. aligned. Yeah. And before maybe you might have been friends with someone for years and never seen a shift, right? And now sometimes in a handful of months, you'll sense it starting to come and then it'll round out and it'll be back in sync and then they'll be on to the next step in their awakening. Yeah. I mean, I've experienced that myself. Like even in mid-sentence, what will happen is you'll have a realization, like just by speaking out loud sometimes, like your thoughts, when you hear yourself say it out loud, and in a moment, you probably don't honor it and respect it like you should, because like you said, you're programmed to just repeat whatever you've been telling yourself for however many years, but you will have that realization in the moment. Like it's happened to me, like you're telling the story mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, it clicks. Something clicks. Yes. And that, but it doesn't match with what you're saying, but you continue saying what you're saying because you've already committed to that, you know? Yeah. Right. 
And I think another level of it too is probably starting to happen too. I would say a lot of the people who are drawn to your guys' show is it's going to happen through body expression, right? So at first we could only pick up on it when we said the words, hang on, right? Because that's part of the thinking process. And we're like, I know I said that, but I don't love that I said that. Okay. As it accelerates, it sort of expands out into a whole body and environment type of cycle and awakening. So you'll find yourself moving in ways that just feel sort of not quite aligned. Like, why am I scrubbing this thing again? Who cares if it's clean? Or like, why am I going back to the same place, right? So it starts to move faster in terms of all your gestures, your tendencies, like the way your whole unified field of perception is doing stuff. And so you can have like 10 awakening moments in a day because now there's a new awareness of not just what you're saying, but what your whole body is doing. It's those out-of-body experiences that we have sometimes. We're sort of like, why did I just do that? But at an even accelerated level, like why did you gravitate over to that side of the room? Why did you start talking to that person? Usually you don't like those kinds of people, right? So there's this juxtaposition between what the mind would say about that situation and what you felt called to. Some people are like, nope, now I want to sort of just move over here, or book that plane ticket, right? So you start to see it coming through an awakening and you start to see it coming through in terms of old representations of old beliefs and it starts to accelerate very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Old right. versions of yourself like become more apparent. You're like, wow. Like you start to see you're not really the same person anymore. And you look at the things that you used to do or the people you used to be connected to and like, oh, okay. Like I, I can, you start to see all these different versions of yourself. It's interesting. I mean, I don't know how much longer you would like to go. We can really change it up and start talking about this other group, the AO that many, some of our audience knows from being at the conference, or, or we can just stick with the chorus and some of their messages and, and I can let you, uh, you know, bring it home with whatever you feel like you'd like to share. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, we're all on our way home. Um, I'm down for whatever. What do you guys feel? I feel like, you know, your show best. You tell me. I think they, I think people would love to know about the AO and what the AO even stands for. And you know, how did, how you learned about them and started communicating with them. Okay. Aaron, does that sound good? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I would love that as well. Okay. All right. Let me take a drink of water first. <laughs> Start down that rabbit hole. Because, <laughs> um, you know, some of this may tie into the Federation stuff because I feel like they showed up around the same time, around the same point in my awakening. So um, the chorus and I were like, you know, two peas in a pod for about seven or eight years. I channeled them really without sharing it with anybody. He was a closet channeler for a long time for a lot of reasons. Um, but I think a lot of it were fears that were intentionally keeping me grinding and sort of a get to know these messages and these understandings kind of way without distraction. And then at some point it became very obvious that it was like, it was time to get it down in something else. And so we wrote the first book and it took me about three weeks to write the first book. Now, granted, that was after seven years of prep. So <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know if it's fast or not. Um, so after the first book and then into the second season of the podcast, um, 
I started to experience communications from beings who were beyond the chorus. And the chorus had predicted this. They said that, well, when it's time, you're going to start connecting energetically to more players of your game. Excuse me. I didn't quite know what that meant. Um, and so I kind of just rolled with it. But starting into the second season, I started to receive communications from what they later defined themselves as the Federation. I know that's a loaded term, but I'll continue to describe how they define themselves. And then also even later, a group of beings that we began to call the AO, which stood for the ancient ones, because they would show up when I went to ancient sites, historical sites, typically very ancient sites. The AO, like we were talking about earlier, said that they were able to recognize me or see me or connect with me because of my open heart. And I think that's happening for a lot of people in awakening that as their hearts are expanding or they're stepping into this, you know, freedom from the belief systems, you know, constant attention to limitation, they are drawn to many of these ancient sites and at these ancient sites experience sort of these sorts of downloads and connections. Um, the AO, if you like the linear timeline, you could say is from ancient history. Now, where in ancient history, I'm not quite sure, but I think lately I've been sort of growing comfortable with the fact that they may be from the most recent cataclysm. So the AO comes in, I show up at an ancient site, the AO comes in, and they, I don't know, they have a lot to say in a very specific way in our reality. You know, where the chorus is sort of like, hey, it's great. Everything you did here is awesome. Humanity's choice of limitation is amazing. You know, the AO is sort of like, we have jobs to be done. <laughs> mm -hmm. There are things in your reality that connect to things in our reality or timeline or however, or dimension, however you want to define it. And they are very much connected to what's happening here in terms of some of the people, beings, or souls, however you want to define it, that are here are very important to them. And they would like to reconnect. So a lot of their messages have related to that. And frankly, a lot of the messages from the Federation have a very similar theme. I do not get downloads about spaceships. Nothing nothing like that. Instead, I get sort of an understanding of why they're interested in this particular time and in humanity and what's happening and why they came here and how they thought they could help and how that went awry. It's a very strategic conversation of the overarching picture and all to the effort of explaining why they want to reconnect here. And it's from an idea of what we might call extraterrestrials, but essentially it's the same theme. The ancient ones want to reconnect. The Federation wants to reconnect. And there's a lot that's converging here in this time right now that's very important and that affects a lot of other civilizations. So, well, I didn't know you were going to bring up the Federation, but I'm going to have to ask this question <laughs> now because whenever you said it, it made so much sense to me. And this theme has actually come up again since then. I haven't even shared this with you, but um, they, when they came to try and help and reawaken us and help us remember who we were or whatever that mission was, they didn't just come at this current time. They came here in all places and times, like simultaneously, right? Like yeah. if everything is if happening at once there is no time so they can they can all show up at different time periods on our planet 
and try to help humanity. But then they didn't understand, I guess, the potency of the amnesia and how it would actually affect them when they came here. And can you kind of describe what that looked like? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the chorus jokes, they're like, you have no idea how many beings have tried to show up and break you free from your own choice to be limited and then have sort of just increased your limitation in some way. So they come in and they're like, we can tell you how to be enlightened. And we're sort of like, we are not enlightened, right? The takeaway for us is something that makes us feel more limited. Um, and it gets to be kind of funny and and also extremely successful, depending on how you look at it. So the Federation, by their own you know, expression to me, is that when they arrived here, they recognized that humanity had what they call a fracture of consciousness, meaning there were conscious physical parts of us that were disconnected from the more energetic parts of us. The connection, the memory, the understanding was all broken and shattered. They wanted very much to connect with us. And they felt like they had been drawn to our resonance because they show up when societies or civilizations are ready to connect. And so they thought, okay, we've never seen this kind of fracture, but we must have rendezvoused for a reason. Energetically, they could feel that our energetic parts of selves were preparing for a connection, but the physical parts of us were still sort of running amok and, you know, disconnected. So they said that they hung out for a period of time, depending on how you look at time, waiting for this reunification of parts and extremely fascinated by it too. They wanted to understand how these things would come back together, but they said they waited, they waited, they waited, and nothing was happening. So they said, okay, well, we very much want to meet you. We want to understand the whole of you. And so they thought, well, Let's figure out how we can incarnate into that physical part of this fracture and see if we can finally understand what goes on in there, because it kind of been like a black box. So they figured out how to incarnate. I don't have the details of how you do that. <laughs> it's a general overview. They figured out how to incarnate. They sent in some volunteers. The volunteers did arrive into our physical aspect of reality. Some of them were able for a little bit of time to still remember and connect to, you know, the Federation who had sent them in. Most of them, however, were immediately sucked into the beliefs of limitation, our wheel of karma. It's another way of putting it. And so they basically did live life as a physical human. The Federation was able to observe some of it, but when those lives were coming to an end, they did not exit to go back to the Federation. They became stuck in our wheel of karma and basically were reborn again. So now the Federation had a choice. They could wait and hope that eventually those volunteers would return when all of humanity re-entered it back into that unification of parts. Or they could send in more volunteers and try again a different way. By their explanation to me, you know, they said, well, we think we already have something in common because we think that if you guys were in our shoes and someone you loved had gone into an experience and was stuck in there, we think you'd probably try again too. You know, so it's a very beautiful expression in the book, the way they, they say why they chose to double down basically on this experiment. 
And they didn't just send in more souls, like another another batch, another team. They sent in many, many, many more. So they were like, okay, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this. And that is when they sent in souls across all parts of our timeline. So energetically, they could see all the time places that humanity is connected to, understand that this is fluid and dynamic. By some views, timelines or time places, as the chorus likes to say, are not necessarily as static as we view them to be. They have elements of them that are fluid too. But for this example, it works fine. Let's say we were across, you know, 10 million different time places. They sent in volunteers across all 10 million, anywhere that energetically or physically humanity was present. And so that's where I think some of these stories of like, oh, we found artifacts from this other historical timeline or this other history of humanity that express that there may have been an extraterrestrial presence. Sure, you can say that they have been here a long time. You can also say that they showed up across all of our times. They defined the strategy of their project based upon how humanity had sprinkled itself across time. And I think that has a lot to do with what was decided in the previous cataclysm too, the way we're sprinkled across timelines. Yeah, it's so fascinating to me. And it would explain, because so many people have a problem with the Federation, the Galactic Federation. There's so much controversy around that term and these groups and you know, there's there's a whole belief system out there that the Federation was created by the Satanist and it doesn't exist at all. Um, then there's governments that are literally leaking documents talking about the reality and existence of a Federation. And we have uh, the inner Earth beings calling it the Confederation of Planets. There's so many different, you know, it's just a loaded term, right? But if they really did, if what if what you're explaining actually happened and they really did send in those waves of volunteers... It would make perfect sense to me why so many people right now are remembering being connected with the Federation. And there's channels and all kinds of people right now. It almost seems impossible. We're like, there's no way that this many people are connecting and remember a life in the Federation. But maybe there is. And maybe that's exactly what's happening right now. And maybe their plan or their strategy is actually finally working. Yeah, I think that's an encouraging thought, at least for, for I think for humanity too, because it's it also is an expression of our awakening, right? right? As on the whole, in the book we talk about the way that those volunteers may have contributed to a shift in our belief system, meaning that if somehow they were able to stay connected to that broader frequency that they came in from to volunteer from that if they continued to build beliefs in the belief system complex that represent possibility, possibility is kind of a loophole in the belief system complex. If something's possible, you can stay open to it and receive something different. So the idea is that these star seeds, if you like that term, I know that's a loaded term too, but that the star seeds came in, were somehow able to hold a slightly more vast energetic perception. And as they lived physical experience here, they built beliefs just like we all do, right? But their beliefs held open the possibility, possibility, possibility. What happens is that gets fed into the complete database of the group consensus, and the group consensus then as a whole has access to things that are then more possible. 
Now, previously, this aspect of the group consensus was used to further our limitation, right? As more of us had more limiting beliefs and limiting beliefs, the group consensus as a whole only has access to more limiting beliefs and more limiting beliefs. But that same mechanism could be used to deliver us from our limitation too. If you get, you know, sort of a glitch <laughs> to show up in the matrix and start building beliefs of possibility, now everybody who is of that frequency mm. has access to those beliefs of possibility too. And real quick, on a, I would say a smaller scale version of that is what many of us have heard of the hundredth monkey effect, right? Where they... They had um, all these monkeys that um, couldn't eat what was it, potatoes that were covered in sand and like they couldn't eat them. And then one of them realized, oh, I can dip this in the ocean, and clean it off and then and clean it that way. And then but on these other islands separated completely, like no access to each other. As soon as like a certain number of them figured that out, it went into the morphogenic field, the the one consciousness that we all share like you were just describing, then now they have access to that. And they started doing the same thing, which by modern, you know, mainstream science beliefs isn't supposed to be possible, you Correct. know, no explanation and their paradigm for that because yeah. they have a very limited false paradigm, in my opinion. Um, but that gives you a clue to what you just said and the true nature of reality that we're all connected and that what you believe to be true will be will manifest you know and will affect the whole because we're all one we're all connected yes i love that example you know i also think so science does allow for it in terms of different generations i don't know why i mean i haven't gotten into a deep discussion but if those monkeys died and new monkeys came in and new monkeys were able to do it they would say it's some combination of genetics and environment and so of course they can dip the potatoes in the ocean and do whatever Okay, energetically, I think that's quite fascinating because what's happened is the soul, if you look at the egg as encapsulating the wheel of karma, so the cycle of souls, mm -hmm. then the soul has gone out and has come back in. The, the most recent update, you could say, to the database of the group consensus is what we're all playing at any given period in time. So as new souls come in, they all land on this version of this instant in time, right? And then they have access to those beliefs. So this is another way of looking at things like instinct. Instinct could also be viewed as a representation of a shared energetic field that everyone at that moment in time has access to, either, either the entire generation of a species or all beings that are resonant with that construct across, you know, you define the geographic location. Mm. Yeah, it's yeah. It, that was a great example, Aaron, and it's it's amazing to me because it creates. And there's like, more than just there's more than just that. There's many examples of that, like right. the like the four minute miles. Another good example of that, where like it was supposed to be, oh, it's impossible, it's impossible, and then the first guy that did it suddenly now right after that, all these other people start doing it, but not before that, right? Right. It was supposed yeah. to be impossible. No one can do it, and now suddenly oh, everyone can do it. Right. Well, that goes back to time and your example of construction. Um, building a house in two seconds or three days. Three days is a typical mm -hmm. time period to frame a house, just so you know, um, a standard size house. But I was in construction for 15 years, commercial construction, and they would throw impossible deadlines at us. They would cut mm -hmm. two weeks off the job. In your mind, we have two weeks to finish this. Okay, good, because this is going to take two weeks. And then they say, hey, this has to be done in two days. And that's a realistic cut. Like, I'm not exaggerating. 
And everyone looks around, everyone throws a fit, everyone complains, we can't do this, it's impossible, these guys are crazy, they're cussing each other out, everything happens. But what I witnessed, what I observed after years of being in construction and doing that, we always met the deadline. We literally bent, were bending time as a group of people because mm -hmm. we knew now we had to have it done in this amount of time. Yeah, we worked extra hours, but it was always done. We always did it. And it was amazing. And I was like, and I look back on it now, I'm like, we were bending time all the time in construction and like making things, creating new possibilities, right? And I right. just think it's a beautiful example. Um, but and then what happened was the project managers realized that we can get it done in that amount of time. So then they give you such, they give you that amount of time to do the next job. And you're like, well, no, you don't understand. Like that was a rare circumstance. We can't get it done in that amount okay. of time. But then it did create a problem because they kept shrinking that amount of time. And then we can only limit ourselves so much before you're really just putting out a, a shitty product. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And then that that leads to bigger, that leads to now extending the pro the project even further because you have to fix everything, you know, and it just leads to a whole nother series of problems. But it's a great example of how that once you realize what you can do it, all of a sudden everybody can do it in that amount oh, of time, so. which two right. weeks ago was impossible. Yeah, I, I would, yes. And I would say an interesting point is, so however you define the people you were working with or whatnot, someone in the group had to have been open to the possibility that we can do this. Right. Exactly. If no one in the group was open to that, that possibility wouldn't have manifested. Low probability, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, but then what's even more interesting is that there was a realization somewhere in the process of the way it quote unquote used to be and a possibility for how it quote unquote could now be. It's that process of bringing it to consciousness that I think sometimes humans like discount a lot. But the actual moment of realization when you say, no shit, we actually did it in half the time. There are so many miracles that have happened in this experience of limitation that nobody recognized, that nobody saw, right? Because as soon as you bring it to consciousness, it gets built into the database. So blinders was a big part of how we limited ourselves. We didn't notice the extraordinary. Nobody noticed the extraordinary. This is how it was. This is how it will always be. But what happens in awakening is some souls start to realize the delta, the difference between the way it should have gone based on, I think, the way stuff works here and then how it did go. And I think you're starting to see this, or we have been seeing this, in terms of things like the UFO phenomenon or the UAP or NIH or whatever word you like, okay. that there are some people who can see the extraordinary and bring that through in a conscious way into their day-to-day -day life. So they do see the lights or they do hear the voices or they do do the, you know, they see the way that this reality works and simultaneously a new possibility that is different than what that reality allowed for. And by way of being conscious here in this reality and being a member of the game, they now build that into the database, build that into the database. This is reflected in, um, it's a well-known arc, which is like the structure of scientific revolutions, which is first like, you know, a very few believe it to be possible. Then if you start to manifest it, then it starts to spread. And then everyone believes that's the way it always was. 
Right. So there's a balance here between souls that bring through possibilities through their conscious recognition and those that are not awake that are sort of just like, that's the way it always was, right? They're still reinstating their experience of the blinders. Mm. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's, and I, I'm glad you brought up the UAP, NHI, UFO, UFO thing right now, um, because our audience doesn't know, but you have a background in the aerospace industry. Yes. and this is a very 3D question, but having that background, what is your opinion on like what you see happening? And you can you can give us any perspective you'd like, but like what you see happening right now with that shift. And be, I mean, you might've just answered it, but it's very interesting that you have that background and that you fell into doing this type of work because it's a very scientific nuts and bolts background to now everything and anything is possible. And then now you see this, on the world stage that this ufo phenomenon becoming a reality and what is what is that like for you oh, thanks um it's weird i mean i still i still feel a part of me that's like connected to science and aerospace and tech and data analysis and my background and then there's another part of me that's like the channeler to the chorus you know i feel them both they're both very alive within me and so I, I feel like I could give you any number of answers to this question because that's the point is there's going to be a lot of different perspectives on this stuff. And it's not actually about evaluating each of the perspectives. It's about humanity stepping into a new era where we are comfortable with multiple perspectives at the same period of time about a given topic. That's really what's happening. So the more we are able to allow for the truth, the the possibility, let's say, because truth is a little bit harsh to us because it activates that singularity thing, right? We're like the truth. <laughs> we, you know, it takes a certain road and awakening to be like, there are many truths. We don't usually start there. We usually start with like, what's the truth, right? So I feel like this is going to be part of it. There are so many different civilizations involved. And so there are so many different perspectives involved and they're all true. And the more we can allow information to just keep rolling through us, the sightings, the experiences, different people's whistleblowing, the books, right? The faster we'll be able to expand into an understanding of what these different perspectives are and what our perspective is. Like humanity right now is in is in a bit of like a like a fire hose moment where we're starting to perceive things and there's going to be sort of this like influx of things to be seen. And in some cases, these civilizations have been waiting millennia to be recognized by humanity consciously. So they all have a lot to say and a lot to express. And they have a lot of opinions about how this should go down for us based on what they believe. And so the upshot isn't really about like tabulating or picking which one of those we like best. What's important here is that we form our own perspectives yeah. based on what we're coming from, which is an experience of limitation. That's valid. Look, just because we haven't been able to time travel in the way some other civilizations have been able to, doesn't make our experience here in creation any less important, any less valuable. We offer a different perspective that is unique in the cosmos, and it's up to us to develop that and share it. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I love what you said about all these different groups who've been, uh, 
you know, quote, waiting millennia to contact us, let's say. And then now people are contacting them and, and, or they are contacting us. And what we have is so many different groups right now and different people are connecting with those different groups. And those groups are doing exactly what you just said. They're telling those individuals the way they think it should be going down. And then that's where we're seeing all this division created right now, because this person's connected to this group who's telling them one thing and this group person's connecting to this group that's telling them something completely different because, you know, they've, they have different interests in the game. And that's mm -hmm. why it's so confusing right now to figure out what the truth is, because this can't be true <clears throat> if this is true or vice versa. That's how people see things. And we have to understand that there are so many different perspectives that have their hand in the game now that yeah. think things should be going down a certain way. And they're giving information based on based on their reality and through their lens. And it's just yeah. very fascinating and to watch it all play out. Right. Another way to look at that is it, the answer I found is almost always all of the above, where <laughs> yeah. like I says, oh, aliens are real. I believe in aliens, but not in higher dimensional beings or angels and blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, no, those are real too. Well, well, okay, I believe in those, but not not ETs or physical, you could say like us, physical 3D beings that live on other planets and other places and the vast, just this one layer of the, you know, as we know, there's a multiverse and other dimensions and other realities. Um, it's like, well, that's true, but those, that's true too. It's all, tr it's all true. <laughs> it's just a matter of like, uh, you're going to experience what you wherever you're at things you know like you can like like katie you're channeling these consciousnesses for lack of a better term uh because you were able to tap into that because you were able to you were in meditation and they were able to connect with you through your own free will like they're not going to violate your free will you know um but somebody that's never done that would say oh that doesn't exist because they've never experienced it but right. it does you you have experienced it you're you're like no i but it's a matter of like uh you're going to experience wherever you're at you know what you're a match to kind of mm -hmm. so. yeah there are many realities in this reality right. there are many dimensions in this dimension depending on how you look at dimension but yeah i think that there's an aspect of urgency sometimes with some of these representations um there i think there's two reasons for that the first is the human expression right now of linear time still factors in a constraint for what's possible in any given period of time so when we come into contact with a vaster energy there's a time trade off sometimes that's just in the sense of it does that make sense mm -hmm. so i don't know if you've ever if you ever you guys have because you clearly interview like a zillion people Whenever those topics come up that are the furthest out there, like when someone's telling a story about an encounter, have you ever noticed that they speed up? They start talking more rapidly and then this happened and this happened, this happened, and you can like mm -hmm. barely get in a follow-up question. Yeah. Yeah. That is their interpretation of the vastness of that energy being translated into the rules of this belief system, which yeah. is that was a fuck ton. Here that <laughs> takes a lot of time to get through. So I've got to hurry up because this needs to take so, and so I can't expand the time. So I have to cram more into the time that I, do you see? Mm -hmm. There's this hurriedness that is an expression of that translation. That'll soften over time as we go forward. But the best thing we can do is when people are trying to get out an extraordinary experience is to just be like, we got all day. Mm-hmm. 
You can tell me right. this three times if you want. There's right. nowhere else we got to be, right? Just bring right. through an expansive like you did in your construction projects, right? We right. can change the conscious perception of time if we are conscious of how the time is being modulated in that experience. Right. So you say, hey, there's another possibility here. Right. This and, could be normal here. And it's so interesting that, you know, time doesn't exist, right? But it does because we believe it exists. And and these other groups and other dimensions, they also experience time as well. And that's that would be the Federation and the AO because they're tied to us and however karmically, whatever that looks like. Um, but you you mentioned something that we probably should address before we wrap this up is the urgency of those groups. So from their perspective, like the Federation and the AO, like we've got this has to be done now. We have work to do. Um, they understand, like, uh, I guess, more of the game than we do. And they understand the potential threats. So that would seem like it's there. It, everything has to be more urgent to them. Because like there is this deadline or something, it seems like it's very interesting. Like there's such a higher dimensional being from our perspective, but they're still very solidified in that linear timeline of the game. Yeah. So it took me, I've had so many conversations and at some point I just was like, I can't anymore. You guys, it's just so dramatic. And so like, it's all ending right now. It was just like kind of exhausting. And I got very frustrated and sort of burnt out on those sort of conversations, particularly because my contrast is the chorus that is like, it's perfect. It's infinite. You guys are great. You can't not awaken. This is going fantastically. You know, so I tend to prefer that perspective. And so when these extraterrestrials or NHI or however you want to call them came in and they were like, this is urgent. All I could feel was sort of like, okay, so you believe in urgency, right? <laughs> it, I just couldn't buy into the belief in the same way. And it took me a long time to realize it was because I wasn't resonant with that belief anymore. I'm not sure that I buy urgency anymore. And this is because us as a group are expanding into a different understanding of time where serendipity exists, where synchronicity exists, where miracles exist, truly deeply felt in our bones. So when someone runs up to you and they're like, oh my God, oh my God, this, 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 it has to happen now. It sort of just doesn't resonate. I don't feel it. I don't buy into it in the same way that I used to. Right. And instead it's more of like a real objective, like, wow, okay, you so, you have some strong beliefs about what's happening here. <laughs> you want to talk <laughs> about that? You right. know, like why? What is your civilization you believe? believe? Yeah. Right. How'd you get here? They're just broadcasting where they're at. And then it like what I've realized is the more somebody wants is trying to force upon a belief or force their perspective onto you, it it's usually like the lower vibration that they're at because that's and the more unconscious they are, because that's when you think everyone has to believe the same thing I do and has to um buy into these same concepts and things. Um, but the more you expand. And the more you you expand out of limitation, basically, as you're talking about, you're like, there time doesn't even exist. It just exists as an experience. So, like, what's why would I, you know, you don't have that limitation anymore where you're so you're at this more unconscious level where you think everything has to work in a certain time and has to look a certain way. That's coming from a very, very, very limited small perspective. But the more right. greater perspective you have, 
you see how everything's working perfectly in, in the it's, way it's happening it's, and it's all experience. It's know? more of the hippie vibe. <laughs> right, right. Um, but that's where that comes from. You right. know, it's and that even calling it a hippie is putting it trying to put it in a box of but, yeah. but what I think you know, if we're going to zoom out on your experience, Katie, like you had the course came in first to give you that beautiful perspective and understanding of everything they explain. And then these other groups come in. So now you have that reference. Yes. If without that reference, you probably would have fallen into their beliefs as well, because you would have thought, mm -hmm. oh, my God, it is urgent. But it's all for you to be able to zoom out and see where these other groups are at as well. And even though they have fascinating information and it all does play a role in everything that we are, it's very interesting to be able to, to observe that. And it's a beautiful perspective, I think. Completely. I would have been still resonant in my experience of urgency that when someone showed up urgent, it would have been like, you know, double resonant urgent. It would have been even more urgent. But yeah, you know, I think this is this is what some of the most fascinating questions are about humanity. Because remember how earlier we were saying, look, this is about the validity of all perspectives. So how can a being who's extremely urgent run up to you and we validate that urgency? I get that. I have been in a hurry for most of my life. Like, yes. And also validate a perspective like the chorus, which is like, this is all unfolding perfectly. There is no rush. Enjoy every single second of it. How can we hold them both at once? And when you start to do that, I think more interesting questions come up, which is why are all these societies here? Right? Why are they saving humanity? Maybe it's because they're awakening too. And they run up urgently to save this society from itself only to realize that that society is awakening and changing and what it needs or wants, or there's reasons for these manifestations and these rendezvous, real reasons. And I think it was maybe our first step out of the gate as humans was to assume that they all knew more than we did. Yeah. But maybe they just knew different things than we did. And now because they run up to me in a hurry, I have this question of, well, what is it that I know? Like, okay, if I feel different than they do, but I understand where they're coming from because I've been there too, what is it that I have to say? What, what would I express here? Yeah. And that's honestly what many of the civilizations are waiting for, are excited for. The ones who maybe are not so much in the urgency and the saving, the ones who are just in the welcoming and the celebrating, they're welcoming humanity back because they're so eager to see what we express as we are exiting this type of experience. And as we're coming at first into contact with the ones who were peripherally involved in that experience of limitation, whether they know it or not. Right. So we hear about, you know, the ones who are neutral, potentially. Those neutral ones are neutral because they totally believe in everything that's happening here. Right. And the in the awakening. And the ones that are more proactive or involved overlap in some way with our resonance of protection, prevention, potentially loss of control. These are all fundamental structures of beliefs that we hold too. Right. And it's so interesting because that changes everything now. Now that you realize you zoom out and you realize, oh wow, they're in the same game that we are. They just have better technology or whatever it is from our perspective. But then you look at it like, 
all of a sudden that Star Trek civilization or this advanced civilization isn't as impressive as it used to be because you realize they're still just as limited, but in a whole different way. And it's like, well, I don't even want to do that anymore. Like, let's get out of this altogether, you know, instead of like waiting for the med beds and then the, the spaceports and the Galactic Federation and the moon bases and, you know, the Academy, all the stuff like we can like, why do we have to do all that? We, we can just like bypass yeah. that now. Now that we understand that that's all part of the limitation, we can just travel in our in Merkabas and our etheric bodies. You are you are the greatest technology. Yeah. That's, that's the lie we've been sold. We think we need all this stuff outside of us. And that can help to like free up our like let's say time so we can work on ourselves spiritually and stuff like that and do follow our passion and joy and things like that. But like there's a certain level where you need to go beyond external technology and realize you have to go within and realize you are the greatest technology. And like you said, Merk you can you can form your own Merkaba and travel the universe, the multiverse. <laughs> like you don't even have to have a freaking physical anything. You can create, you know, thought. Like you get to that level. But you know, that's right. it's all and, like tapping into these different layers of uh and ourselves. You know, that's where we have to hold space for people that are like, well, I was here last night or I was there last night. And then a skeptic's going to be like physically and like, well, no, I like, went there mentally, but mm -hmm. you really went there. It doesn't mean that you actually didn't go there. Just because your physical body stayed in bed doesn't mean you didn't have that experience. And that's right. what we have to start understanding and maybe start paying attention to some of these people that are sharing their experiences just because they didn't take a spaceship to that planet, but they still experienced that planet. And they have something to share from that experience. Like maybe we should listen. Yeah. I Yeah. I mean, that's the difference between someone who's like reality consists of things we do with our five senses with this physical format. And someone who's like, I think what's real are things I experience. Period. In a dream, in a vision, in whatever. I experienced it. It's right. real. It's a very different definition of reality that's not based on the five senses. But, you know, going back to what the chorus says, the five senses do express important interpretations of energy. So I think some of the best next questions are going to be, what is it that we're actually experiencing and interpreting with our five senses versus with these other things? These are real structures that other societies work with, manipulate, travel between they have an understanding of, they can teach that understanding to others. These aren't just like pie in the sky, like, oh, okay, that's how you relax. Like they're real, they're real places, they're real frequencies, they're real understandings of them. And I think this is kind of the fun of all of this is it's like, it's one big scavenger hunt for all of us. I mean, we always say we each have a piece, right? We each hold a piece of the puzzle. It's true of all the other civilizations and societies that are coming here now. Like they have a piece of the puzzle, but so does humanity. And so I think when we have those interactions, it's a great fallback position to be like, okay, I'm a little distracted right now by your shiny spaceship and all your cool technology. And I'm coming from the five senses. And that used to be all of my everything, but hang on. I feel like I'm starting to understand something you believe. Is this true? Do you believe this? Because I used to believe that, but I don't believe that now. And mm -hmm. so the conversation expands from how do we make your cool radar gun work here on our planet, right? That was a five senses way of coming to an understanding of the differences between these two societies. 
And now it expands to encompass, what did you believe when you made this radar gun? Like, what was your society doing? Why did you feel like that needed to be invented? Now you're stepping into a fuller understanding of the technology itself because you're understanding the underlying beliefs that create it. That's beautiful. Beautifully said. There is no radar gun. (laughs) (laughs) That's the, no, that's the truth. There is no spoon. Um, so <laughs> right. we basically yeah. just broke exactly. the matrix. <laughs> um, <laughs> and clearly from the title of Katie's books, The Human Awakening and The Human Remembrance, those are subtle indicators that she's not human. That's and, not true. <laughs> <laughs> More well, like card-carrying member yeah, of yeah. human race. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah. No, thank you so much. This was profound, uh, um, as I expected. And there's so much more. And I would love to do a part two because there, I I know there's so much more to talk about. Uh, but I, if I ask that question, we'll be here for another hour. So um, just please let our audience know where they can find you, your website, how they can listen to the podcast, where they can get the books, all that. That sounds great. Thank you guys so much for having me. Thank you to your listeners and everyone for their support. Um, so the best way to find us is our website is katieandthechorus.com. We are also medium active on social media and all of our handles are at Katie and the Chorus. So Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube are all at Katie and the Chorus. And then one of the best ways is to just listen to our podcast. I make announcements there. So our podcast is Our Next Existence by Katie and the Chorus. And it's available on most major podcasting platforms. And if you're interested in hearing me channel the chorus, um, I channel the chorus each episode. I bring through a message from them and then we discuss it in the human context. So you'll get to hear the chorus and also hear our announcements. And the book two isn't out yet, but it's coming out. Can you give us a timeline on that? I would say it's all going to start rolling out in early in the new year. So it's all basically there but so you can see the difference we made the based on reader request we made the second book this is a proof copy we made the second book bigger because people wanted you know bigger illustrations so this is the original first book so we're making a larger second edition of awakening so that they're both the same mondo size (laughs) nice mondo illustration size It's true because some of those illustrations are small and the text is even smaller. So that would be amazing if it was, if there was a bigger version available. Speaking of, did did you do those illustrations or did somebody else do those illustrations? They're actually based on my pencil sketches. And then I have a illustrator who converts them into digital. Nice. Nice. Yeah. But But we kept the pencil sketch feel, you know, because this is similar to how they came in. And I've seen that's, your notebook before. So, I mean, that's how they look. I mean. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, nice. It's, it's, it's amazing to see. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us. This thank was you, incredible. Guys. And yes. um, we can't thank you enough. And I know people are going to be walking away from this, re- scratching their heads, rethinking their, their existence. Um, but I think it's amazing that we're at this point in time right now that we can have this conversation and walk away with an actual understanding of what we just talked about. So. Um, It's a beautiful thing. And thank you all for being with us tonight. We love you all. And until next time, have a great evening. Good night. 
Yo, what's up everyone? How you guys doing today? You guys feeling those vibes? Yeah, you know what it is, so check it out. So, May 13th to 16th, Grafton, Illinois, Rebels of Disclosure Conference. Yeah, I'm pumped. It's going to be my first time in the States, first time going to a conference, first time seeing any of these speakers live, and the first time I'm going to get to meet hundreds of people that I've been chatting with and interacting with on Facebook and Instagram, and I'm so pumped. I did just check. They have the website up and running. It's looking really fresh. It has all the information on tickets, meal plans, uh, the schedule when the speakers are going to be speaking, um, information on all the speakers, frequently asked questions, and um, uh, where you can camp or uh, your lodgings for the weekend, as well information on where the event's going to be at, and it looks dope. I do believe that this is going to be the best year yet. Um, I may be biased because I'm going this year, but uh, that's just what I'm vibing. But yet, if you haven't checked out the website, go check it out. It's looking really good. I'm super excited, man. I've been following Tyler and Aaron for a long time. I really love their podcast and all the people they bring on. And the lineup this year looks so sick. So, and if you're going, I'm super excited to meet you. I'm going to give you a big hug. A big star seed squeeze, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Anyway, you guys, I hope you guys have an amazing day today. Sending you guys lots of love. And, man, I can't wait for this conference. Big ups, Aaron and Tyler. And, yeah, guys, have a great day. Peace.